0: In this episode of Uketropolis, left hand versus right hand muting, why the one chord is called the tonic, and some ideas about differentiated activities for multi-level ukulele groups, because every ukulele group is a multi-level ukulele group. Welcome back to the Uketropolis podcast for more real ukulele answers to real ukulele questions. These are questions posted by students on uketropolis.com, where you'll find a whole bunch of unique online ukulele courses like Ready Steady Ukulele, Booster Uke, The Ukulele Way, and Peace Like an Ukulele. I'm your host, James Hill. today we're going to focus on questions from jehui level 2 in case you're not familiar with jehui it is the world's first and most comprehensive teacher certification program for ukulele teachers and this was something that my dad and i actually started a decade ago because we needed a a way to help teachers get to know how to use the Ukulele in the Classroom method books. By the way, those method books are now free for everyone. They're free downloads from uktropolis.com slash classroom. But uh, back in the day when they first came out, we realized that uh, it wasn't enough just to print a book and to get it out there. People really needed to learn how to use the strategies in the the books. They needed to see those strategies in practice. They needed to try them out themselves. And maybe most importantly, they needed to be part of a supportive teacher community. Because everyone needs support. But in particular, teachers who are teaching ukulele, I think, need to feel connected to other teachers who are facing some of those same challenges. When When you get up in front of a class of students and they're all sitting there with their ukuleles looking at you with those sort of expectant eyes and you know okay show us something you know you better be ready for that and that's what Jehui uh, was designed to do is to make you not only ready for that first lesson but to to give you a bird's eye view of the learning journey that you are taking students on so that you're you're never just one lesson ahead of your students but you really have a, a clear view of where you're taking them in the uh, in the short term and in the long term so that's that's what JHUI is all about and you can learn more about that at euketropolis.com slash j-h-u-i but today we're going to focus on some questions from, from uh, students in that Jehuete level two program. There are three levels of the program, and the first one comes from Allison, who has a question about arranging, um, and she says, uh, at least this is from a, a, a lesson that I was teaching on arranging, and she picked out this one thing, which is she said, "Are you muting the strings with your left hand?" She said, "That's what it looks like you're doing. Are you muting the strings?" with your left hand. And this actually gets us into a whole kind of Mac versus PC debate within the ukulele world in general. And that is when you mute a strum, in other words, when you wanna make a strum short, not just this, but like this, how do you do that? How do you make that strum short? so that it has a real punch to it and so that it has some space after it. As opposed to which doesn't quite have the same oomph and energy. So when it comes to making a chord short, well, obviously we need to stop the strings From vibrating, the question is, how do you do that? And the answer is going to depend on which ukulele player or which ukulele teacher you ask. Some people do it with the right hand, some people do it with the left hand. And I'm just one of those people that does it with the left hand. That's always been the way I've done it. And so the answer to Allison's question is yes, I'm using the left hand fingers, my fretting hand fingers to mute the strings immediately after I strike the chord. And the way that I'm doing that is I don't know, it's not very technical way to describe it, but I'm just gently flopping the fingers down onto the strings so that when when they touch the strings, the strings stop vibrating. So, if I have one finger left over when I play a chord, I'll flop that finger down. If I have two fingers left over, I'll flop those two fingers down. And this is just how I've gotten used to to doing it. Uh, And it works for me. The other way that you often see and and hear about people doing is with the right hand, what's sometimes called a chuck or a chunk, where you strum with the right hand and then immediately bring some part of the right hand, the palm or the side of the hand, into contact with the strings. And you get kind of this sound... (coughs) Funny, I'm actually not very good at it because I never do it. You hear that kind of sound. I don't know, I I find it kind of tricky, actually. You you, you sort of hit the strings with your strumming finger and then, this is in slow motion, and then right after that, you come in with the palm of that same hand and stop the strings. So it kind of... Chokes the sound like that. And I guess if I practiced a bit, I could probably learn how to do this sort of chunking or chucking thing. But to be honest, um, and I don't want to get into a big debate about which one is better, because it really doesn't matter. You're going for the sound one way or another. Whatever way you choose is fine, as long as when you blindfold the listener they can't tell the difference as long as it goes as long as it makes a short chord it doesn't really matter um i like to use the left hand sort of flop method because it keeps my right hand free of having to worry about that and so if i want to do other strums if i want to do fancy strums triple strums uh, double strums quadruple strums whatever then i can just um focus on muting with my left hand, and my right hand stays completely free to do those things. So like if I wanted to add a little flourish, or those kinds of little percussive effects, I want to keep my right hand totally focused on just doing the the uh, ornamental strum in there, not having to feel like the right hand has to do double duty and mute the strings at the same time that it's trying to strum the strings. So that's my you know that's me making my case for the left hand muting. But honestly, if it works for you, it works for you. One of the beauties of the ukulele world is that nobody's yet written the book on how to play ukulele. It's one of the things I love about being an ukulele player. And honestly, one of the things that drew me further into ukulele as an instrument when I was in my early 20s, it was just so uncharted. And I loved that. I could wake up every morning, pick up my ukulele, and feel like I was discovering something new. Maybe it was something that nobody had ever discovered before. And, and for a young, musically adventurous person like me, that was a very motivating feeling. It made me want to pick up the ukulele. Whereas if I sat down at the piano, I'd be like, oh, you know, the shadow of all those great players and great composers from, uh, you know, Mozart to Franz Liszt to Duke Ellington, Art Tatum, you know, those people are all kind of (laughs) sort of hanging over you. And you're going, oh boy, Uh, 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 everything's been done. I pick up my ukulele, I think, wow, maybe, maybe there's a chance that I might discover a little. uncharted corner of the fretboard uh, that that nobody's ever discovered. And and that was always so much fun for me uh, as a musician. And so there is no right way. There is no wrong way. Part of the fun is discovering your way and perfecting it, sticking to it, and uh, making the sound that you hear in your mind and in your heart and bringing that out on the ukulele. Thanks, Allison, for the, the good question. And I hope that sheds some light on what I was doing there with my left hand muting. Our next question comes to us from Marianne, who's just finishing up unit one of J Who eat level two, and she's doing the quiz. And she makes a comment here on the quiz that I'd like to kind of springboard off into a conversation. She says, Haha, I missed the cool, refreshing tonic. And what she's referring to is one of the questions on the quiz was, uh, why is the tonic chord called the tonic chord or something like that and uh and you know this has been one of my interests for a long time why do we have the names that we have for certain chords in music so the tonic chord in the key of c is c the tonic chord in the key of f is f so in other words it's the the chord that the key is named after and this could be called anything it could be called chicken or cow or tomato but it's called tonic so why well first of all it's a good thing for teachers to know this because you know you're going to get some kid in your class who's just more curious than all the other kids and they're going to ask that question they're going to ask that question and it's going to throw you off you're not going to have an answer you're just going to sort of go and to make something up on the spot. And it would be nice to be ready for that question because you can see it coming a mile away. You say, okay, everybody, let's play the the tonic chord in the key of C. And at some point in your teaching life, somebody's going to put up their hand and say, teacher, why is that called the tonic? And I can't really find a straight answer for this I was just looking at Wikipedia trying to figure out just now if there was a better answer than the one I have in mind. Um, I couldn't really find a good answer for this, but I can't help but think that the reason the one chord, that home chord, the one where you start and end, the reason it's called the tonic chord is because it feels like cool refreshing tonic water it revitalizes the ear when we come back to it it just feels like ah there's a sense of relief and 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 refreshment when we come back to that and you know I don't think that's much of a stretch I think the word tonic just evokes that I always think of just sitting in a bath after a long day in the studio or (laughs) after a long day on tour or after a long day mowing the lawn whatever it might be just relaxing especially if we've had a lot of tension you know getting back to that cool crisp tonic is always a nice thing We can feel, you know, your body knows what that feels like. You you hear it with your ears, but you feel it with your entire being. And so that makes sense. The, The tonic would be called tonic. But what about some of the other harmonies in the key? I've always been fascinated by the dominant chord, which is built on the fifth degree of the scale. This is the chord that is generally thought of as the tension chord or the away from home chord. Here's home and here's away. That's the the chord that we can't really end on because it's a cliffhanger. I can remember this this old story that uh, I read in a book somewhere where Mozart's father, who was his main teacher, his whole life uh, would get up in the middle of the night and go to the piano which was in their house and play some phrase he would improvise something and he would end with a dominant chord and that was it and then he would go back to bed and the young mozart who was you know, in another part of the house, would hear this phrase, this opening phrase, and he would have to get out of bed, go to the piano, and finish the phrase. I'm sure he would have done a much more artful job than that. But this was this kind of exercise-slash- game that they had going between them. It was almost like a practical joke, you know, getting woken up in the middle of the night just so you could finish the, the sort of hanging harmony that somebody else had started, kind of a finish the phrase kind of a game. And that's the power that the dominant seven chord has over us. It keeps things suspended in, in, in midair and doesn't let us resolve until it decides that it's time to go back home and so you'd think that maybe we'd call that that five chord that that tension chord maybe we'd call that chord away or over there or up in the air chord or something like that. But no, no, we decided to call that chord dominant. Like it's the one in charge. It's amazing how much power we give to this dominant chord and it you know, it, it can't help but make me think of the pieces on a chessboard. How you've got the king who I guess the kingdom would maybe be named after the king or at least the castle would be named after the king, who's kind of like the, the tonic chord. But as you know, if you, if you play chess, you know, the king can't do a whole lot. He moves slowly, and he's very vulnerable from, from all sides. Even a pawn could take out the king. But the queen is an incredibly powerful piece, standing right beside the king, but the queen has this incredible reach, this incredible power to control the entire chessboard. It's the queen who is really the most powerful piece on the board. And I think that's true of the dominant chord in music as well. The, the king, the or, or the, the one chord, you can't do a whole lot with it. If you were a jazz musician, you might make it a major seven chord or you might make it a a a six chord you know if you wanted to get fancy but there there's not a whole ton you can do with that one chord jazz musicians you know just to stick with the jazz theme for a sec they have all their fun with the dominant chord it's the queen who's the party animal you know she can do all sorts of stuff that you can make it a seven you could make it a nine. You could uh, flat the five to you know get even more attention. You could sharp the five. You could add a nine and sharp the five. You could add a, a thirteen to it. I mean, and it goes on and on. That's just scratching the surface. There are so many things you can do with that five chord. It really is the dominant force on the chessboard of harmony. And so uh, I, I think it fits. I think the the name is right. I think tonic feels right for that one chord, that home chord. And I think I got to hand it to the five chord. It truly is the dominant force in music. We absolutely bend to its will, and we don't get to go home and have our tonic water until the dominant chord says, it's time to go. And we'll finish today with a question from Donna, who's working on the lesson called Crawdad Song. You know the one. You get a line and I'll get a pole, honey, honey, etc. And she says, any tips for students who might be struggling to pick the eighth notes at full tempo? These ones. Those get a line and I'll get a poll, Those quicker notes. She says, perhaps using a flat pick. Any other suggestions? Okay, so this is a situation all teachers find themselves in pretty much every day. And that is where some students are getting it and some students aren't. Or at very least, some students are picking up more quickly and others need more time. And The big fancy word for that is differentiation. You have a differentiated class. It means that um, there are multiple levels learning simultaneously. And sometimes for new teachers, this can be really unexpected and um, surprising, off-putting. I often talk to teachers who say, you know, I'm having a terrible time in my class. They say, "Uh, I'm, I'm just struggling so much because... Some of my students are more advanced than others. You know, some need more time. And I'm, and I'm thinking to myself, what did you expect? You know, every, anytime you have more than one person in the room, some people are going to pick it up more quickly, and some are going to need more time. So it shouldn't be a big surprise that you're going to need tons of strategies for differentiating the material that you're teaching. I often like to think of sort of three gears for any skill that I'm teaching. For example, if I had a skill like the C scale. What I just played should be considered sort of the middle of the curve. That's where I want most students to end up, but I I always need the ability to turn down the heat for students who are struggling and turn up the heat for students who need extra challenge. So no matter what I'm teaching, I want to have three levels of that thing that all can be played together at the same time so that students can still enjoy the feeling of playing with one another. So for example, if if I was to turn down the heat on the the C scale. I might just get some students to pluck the note C over and over while others play the scale. That's something that anyone can do and it actually sounds pretty nice. If I sing the scale against that it would sound Do Re Mi Fa Sol La Ti Do Ti La gives us kind of a pedal almost like a like a drone and it sounds really nice and it gives those students something that is musically purposeful I think that's so important that whatever you give students it needs to be purposeful they need to feel like they're part of it even if it's a simpler part and maybe they can tell hey this is a simpler part it's still purposeful and musical if I was going to turn up the heat on the C scale. If I had a student who was starting to drift away because uh, playing the C scale is just too easy, that student starts to distract other students because they are goofing around because they're over it already. It's too simple. I need to pull that student back in with a challenge. Maybe I get them to play in thirds. (laughs) all the way through the scale. And that can be played simultaneously with the C scale and sound really nice. It would sound like, Do, Re, re, Mi, Fa, Sol, La, Ti, Do. So the parts mesh together perfectly. And now I have a way to turn up the heat and turn down the heat and still get everyone to play together at the same time. That's what I'm talking about. The challenge I would put to any teacher out there is to have three levels in mind for any skill that you're teaching, any song that you're teaching, any chord that you're teaching, whatever it might be, any strum that you're trying to get them to do. A way to turn it up, and a way to turn it down. And that's exactly what I would do here with Crawdad Song. Donna's asking about how do I get students to play those faster notes if they're having trouble? One way to do it would be to give them a simplified part for a start so that they can gain some confidence. So a simplified part for... First thing I might do is just leave out the eighth notes so they don't get get lost in the weeds there. Maybe I'll just have them play this. and I've just taken away those fast notes for now. If that simplified part is still too difficult, I might write them uh, an easy bass line. Maybe it's just going back and forth between the third and fourth strings. Like, you get a line and I'll get a pole, honey, honey. You get a line and I'll get a pole, baby. Babe, you get a line and I'll get a pole Meet you down at the crowded hole Honey, oh baby mine Now that's a very simple part that they can play with one finger But it's not just that it's a simple part It's actually pretty satisfying too It's the bass line in a way it's keeping the time. It's tick, tock, tick, tock, and so I don't feel like I'm just being talked down to or taught down to. I feel like I'm just I, I'm just playing uh, a different but still important part of the musical picture, and so those are two strategies that I would go to right away uh, for making this melody a little more accessible to students who are having trouble playing those fast notes. Thanks, Donna, for the question, and thank you for tuning in to the Yuketropolis podcast. Come back next week for more real ukulele answers to real ukulele questions from students at yuketropolis.com. And in the meantime, stop by yuketropolis.com and check out our library of unique online ukulele courses like Ready Steady Ukulele for beginners Booster Uke for intermediate players The Ukulele Wave for solo ukulele and chord melody We've also got Peace Like an Ukulele, a completely free course just to help you relax and play beautiful music and for teachers out there there's jhui.org I'm James Hill Until next time, keep on strumming